when you watch a friend shed layers, layers that held them back previously, layers of anxiety, layers of depression, layers of misunderstanding, layers of feeling like there's a lack of purpose. When you watch someone shed layers, it becomes an inspiring story, especially when you have a personal connection with this person. In this episode, we listen to best-selling author, Eric Horatio Jones, free his broken vision. He frees his energy and he finds himself. I know you will gain from this episode of the Free Your Energy Podcast. Get your water, get your tea, sit back, and I hope you continue to free your energy. Derek Horatio Jones, welcome, welcome. What's up, bro? How you doing? Man, I'm doing well. Uh, I wanted to bring you on the Free Your Energy podcast for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, obviously, we have developed a friendship over years. And, and then two, I feel like as an author, as a, as a writer, as a creator, uh, as an athlete, and just what you, you know, the titles that you represent, I just feel like there's so much depth in your story, your character, the things you've been through. Uh, as well as the things you've seen and overcome. So I, I really just wanted to dive in to your, some of your stories. Um, let me see. Where you, where you want me to start? To start from childhood? Let's start off. Yeah, let's start off with what was it like for you uh, from the age of, let's just say, five to ten? Where were you at? What was it like? What were you seeing? What were you feeling? Uh, from age five to ten, uh, I was living in a neighborhood uh, called Seminola. It's a predominantly black neighborhood, small neighborhood, in uh, Hialeah, Miami. So Hialeah is known to be like a big, have a big um, Latino population, but you know it's African Americans from the little side place there. I grew up there. Everywhere, every house that you go to, you knew someone. It was either a family member or like a close friend. So all of us going outside, we always felt like we had protection in our little space because on every block and every house, we knew exactly who lived there and everything. So it was a, it was that was the comfortable aspect of that community. Um, but, you know, going outside the community and kind of like getting involved with different things um, in, a, in a bigger city of Haile in Miami, we faced different trials as I guess other black men have been facing. Um, that, I guess, played a big part in how I, started navigating the world and how I started viewing myself compared to other people. Um, we went to, I went to a, a school there, school James Bright. James Bright, I met a couple people that I know now, but you know, I guess when we grow up, we kind of lose attachments to those old people, those um, people from my past. Um, any defining moments during that time, I guess when I really, what I'm realizing now is, uh, that's the time when you experience certain traumas that you end up forgetting over time. It's some things that you end up addressing when you're adult, when you're an adult, like I'm doing now. So like the process that I've been going through now, as far as like the spiritual stuff, it's kind of revealing some of those traumatic events and like re bring those back up for me to have to deal with now and kind of like repairing myself. 
Um, by the age of 10, something very important happened. Um, we moved to a new city, Liberty City. That was the first time I kind of realized life. Like, I'm alive. I can hurt people. Um, people can hurt me. Like, this is a real thing. It's not like a game. I'm 10, 10 years old. And it came from running around throwing rocks at cars. And it was an adult that had to tell me that, do you know, like, if you break a window or something, you can kill someone. And at 10 years old, it made me think, like, wait, death? That's a, that's a real thing. And I think that moment right there kind of um, put me on the path of where I'm at now as far as just questioning everything. <clears throat> when you were 10 years old, had you seen any death or heard of it before that, like, rock moment? Um, I think I've heard of it and seen it, but it was it didn't feel like it, that it was important. I didn't understand it. Um, I've mostly seen it on TV and in movies and music videos. And those people come back alive, come back alive in other movies and other TV shows. So death didn't seem like a permanent thing to me. I don't remember having like any deep conversations with anyone older than me kind of really explain what death was. So at 10 years old, it was about kind of like about fun, just running around doing things. But just that moment made me think like, wait, this might be a permanent thing. Like death can be permanent. What is that? I have to be careful. I have to watch myself. I have to be aware now. Like I can hurt somebody to that level. At the very beginning, you mentioned a few things that we need. To, I want to go back to. Um, you mentioned that you were at an age where you were learning traumas that you had forgotten, mm-hmm. and then. You also mentioned that you moved from one city to another. So two, two, two part question here, take your time with it, but can you just talk to us about some of the traumas that you mentioned that you may have experienced from like five to 10 that maybe you've forgotten uh, and that you had to remember as an adult? And then was there a big difference in the uh, going from Hialeah to Liberty City? Like what was the, what was the reason for the move and what was the difference? Okay. The trauma, this is cool because um, this is something I've been working through, so I've been way, you know, I've been way willing to um, share. So the trauma that I faced, and I think it's still like manifest through my actions and behaviors and my thoughts now, is through sexuality with um, older women, being at a young age and learning about sex that way, but not ever feeling shameful about it because at that time it felt good and I thought it was okay. I didn't feel manipulated when I was young, a little kid. And even though this woman is older and I felt like, um, I felt like loved and valued and taken care of and nurtured. So growing up, that became like a thing of older woman kind of like taking advantage. And I started to kind of like that. I like to be taken advantage of in some capacity, but at that point, I, I didn't rationalize it that way. That's what I'm realizing nowadays. Um, other traumas would be this trauma with other races, like just being a person who doesn't care about like race and culture and like sticking to cultures and norms. I was just trying to be friends with anyone who was willing to be a friend. But the parents of these people were, were not that open. So the kind of like verbal abuse that I would receive was confusing. And um, the kind of attention that was paid to me, particularly like if I'm walking into stores and, or if I'm just minding my own business on the street compared to other people minding their own business, I really just couldn't understand why I felt like it was always a target for me. If I was literally just a loner trying to mind my business and 
anyone wants to accept me as a friend, thank you. Um, that to this day still bothers me, even though I've been learning to get over that, those fears and that discomfort with people who don't look like me, who um, may have treated me certain ways. Um, I also realized the impact that the people who do look like me have had on me during those times, growing up in those neighborhoods. So growing up in Hialeah, predominantly Hispanic, we had our own little African-American neighborhood and we may have Hispanic friends on the outside, but also I didn't feel the same type of love like that I felt with an older woman that I felt from people who looked like me, like my friends and stuff, because I received more like being picked on, being bullied by people who look like me, just simply because I didn't like the same music or because my parents had first taught us to speak proper or because I like action figures and I like things that they will call white boy things. So I couldn't really fit in. So I really felt like animosity built up for people who looked like me, but I couldn't really feel comfortable with people who didn't look like me because I felt like it, I was just in a world where I don't fit. There's nowhere for me to fit, so I might as well just be alone. We moved from that neighborhood, from the Hispanic, uh, the predominantly Hispanic area, to the Bay City, which is one of Miami's like worst neighborhoods as far as like crime rate. Um, and we already knew this going in because we had family members already living there. So they will always come and you know how they were acting, how they said to act, where they stay. So we already knew what we were getting ourselves into. I already was like, okay, I'm going to get over there. These people look like me. They've been picking on me. I, don't, I know what to expect. Um, I went to a school called Martin Luther King Elementary School. From day one, bro, I did not want to be there. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't handle that amount of bullying. And I think that because I was such a loner and different, I was a target, with a target. So I think I've carried those same type of things. I've bullied myself, which is one reason why I may experience anxiety. I um, see myself as, as having nowhere to, to be or like fit in. So I think that plays another part as, um, you know, producing an anxiety experience. And um, I think the biggest lesson that I learned was I should have just been myself regardless what how people see where I fit. I can fit wherever I, I should just fit where I want. Listening to my rock music when I want to, um, reading my comic books and saving up, you know, storing um, comic books and posters, going to the movies by myself, um, getting to poetry, just doing my own little thing. And I think I would have been way better at it nowadays. Okay, and then just to put some pieces in the puzzle that people may not know, you are African American. I'm African American, yes, sir. Are you mixed with anything else? Uh, I'm just mixed with African American and African American. <laughs> 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 right, right. <laughs> okay, but your middle name is a Hispanic name, Horatio. Or, my, Horatio. My first name is Derek Jones Jr. Okay. Horatio came from a nickname that was given to my dad by my grandmother. She told us that the name means a man of time. That's as far as she got deep with it. She didn't tell us why she picked it and why she considered my dad to be a man of time. Um, I never looked up the word because I didn't want to be wrong. Like it might be something that's not cool. I think a man of time is kind of interesting. So I never looked to see what the name meant. So that was a nickname that she gave to my dad, Horatio, how they pronounced it. And then my dad told me one day, and I was like, you know what? I kind of like the name. Like, uh, I like the way it's pronounced, or what other races pronounce it. They carry the R a little bit more, and it sounds, it just sounds exotic to me. So, Horacio. 
Audacio. Yeah, yeah. That right there, every time I ever seen that. When a woman says it. So, right, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I kept the name. I kept it. I just I created Instagram with that name. Someone already had Derrick Jones Jr. He's a Miami Heat basketball player, so he already got the name and someone else was using it. So I was like, all right, I'll just use Gracie Jones. And that's, so yeah. But my name is Derrick Jones Jr. You can call me Gracie. Yeah. And then, so you didn't want to go to Martin Luther King uh, Elementary School, and it was from day one, it was because of the bullying, you said? Yes, and it's crazy because uh, the bullying wasn't just by, like, guys. It was it was girls. It was, like, one main girl, this big girl, way bigger than I was. She sat behind me, bro, and I was new in the class. Everyone had already been there a couple of weeks and got familiar with each other. I'm just in the class. I don't even, I don't want to be there. So I don't see what's the point of bullying me to make me not want to be there. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be there. I'm not here to make friends. I don't want to be here in the first place. I already know what's going to go down. Um, she's kicking my chair, pinching me, pulling my hair, spitting. And then everyone's laughing and she's just, you know, getting, she just continues because she's getting attention for it. Like people liking her for bullying me this way. So I wouldn't tell the teacher because I felt like I'm gonna be a snitch. And you know, the cold in our type of neighborhoods is you can't snitch. Snitches get stitches. So that just that persisted for about a month. And every day at the at lunchtime at the cafeteria, I will sit at the furthest seat from everyone, but the closest seat to the exit. And I will plot my exit every single day. And I will sit there and watch like some of the staff members walk in and out the door and try to count how long how long did the would the door stay open? And would I be able to sprint from my chair out the door without having to touch it and just keep going every day? But I never built the confidence to actually run out of the school. And then one day my mom got me out and we moved to another school. That was kind of the same way, just a little bit, a little bit less of that. Like I had some space from, from the bullying. Maybe the answer will be different depending on like what perspective you choose to take. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm open to both answers. Maybe you answer as that version of you as a kid, mm-hmm. or maybe you can answer in retrospect now as an adult. But what I'm curious to know is, was the bullying of you just the bullying of you, or was it a culture of bullying where everyone was doing it, or the majority of people were doing it to even each other, teasing each other, making fun of each other. And just at that time to you, it felt like it was just an isolated incident where they were only picking on you. You know, how do you, how do you feel about that? Now as an adult, I could look back and kind of just revisit, like visualize what else was going on in the classroom and at these schools, like, and I can remember other people getting bullied and then um, that and realizing, oh, this is a culture, you know, our culture does this to each other. We harm each other in this way, in abusive ways, picking, it's for status, it's for popularity. It's like how people feel like they get love and attention. They wanna pick on someone else and express themselves that way. And people will people love them for it. People will look back and like, yo, that person's funny, that person has the best jokes. They will after school every day get into these crack battles, they call them crack battles on ranking, where they will just talk crap about each other back and forth, back and forth for hours. And it's funny. And everyone just sitting there laughing and enjoy- and enjoying it except the person that's losing. If you're losing, you're definitely not enjoying it. So usually what happens is if you're one of the innocent bystanders that's laughing, they will look to you and say, what are you laughing at with Joe? And they, they jump on you. Now, the person that was just trying to enjoy themselves laughing 
everyone is attacking that person with the jokes and laughing. And it's just a horrible experience for anyone that's dealing with it. Any person that's quote unquote in the losing position. So I don't think it was just me, but at that time it felt like it was just me. I couldn't even look around and care who else was getting bullied at that time. I felt like I was getting the front, front of it because I was just new and I didn't look around to help anyone else out of it or to look if it was going on anywhere else at that time. I was dealing with it when it weren't on me. I'm trying to get away. But I think when I got to maybe high school, I had to figure out a way how to get back at people. And the only way that I could, I wasn't, I wasn't good at sense of humor and being a good jokester, but what I can do is laugh at a person every single day about that same one joke that everyone laughed at together and have a contagious laugh that just makes people want to laugh. Walk up to the person, just start laughing, and everyone just starts laughing. I couldn't crack a joke, but I can humiliate someone like they were making me feel by just laughing at them for no reason. And that was the only way I was able to fight, fight back for a while. But I do want to say, this is not rare. It was like we just bully each other for some reason. But when I would go to my predominantly white friends' houses or my Latino friends' houses, even though their parents wasn't okay with it, they wouldn't pick on me. They didn't care what I was wearing. They didn't care what music I was playing. All they wanted to care, all they cared about was if I'm going to play the game with them and their, their, their mom, if she was nice, would be like, hey, are you hungry? That's it. So I think for some, some time I've had animosity about people who look like me because I feel like I have more trauma. So. So why do you think... Why do you think that type of stuff was happening? The making fun of each other after school and like, it's almost like it was a sport where it's like, hey, let's get together. And the way we're choosing to socialize with each other as kids is let's just make fun of each other. And then I'm just going to assume, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just assuming, did you call them crack battles? Crack battles ranking. Ranking. Crack battles ranking. So when that was going on, it was just, I'm assuming it was just all black kids from Florida. Yeah. Well, not even all black kids in Florida, because Florida, like we have in Miami, is very diverse. So it may, even though it was a small, predominantly black area in Seminola, but then in Liberty City, it was a big, big um, area, just a predominantly black. But there are still Hispanics that live there too. It's just a place where different minorities, you'll find a different group of minorities living there. But a lot of Hispanics were there from birth until like 15. So they grew up with these friends. So they, they're family. They may look different, but they're family. And they develop the same type of culture because it ain't based just on what you look like. Your skin color is based on the, the neighborhood is the culture of a lot of people because some people don't get a chance to leave the neighborhood. They either don't leave because they don't see the need. They don't leave because they don't have the means. They don't believe they have the means. They don't leave because they're afraid of what, what else is out there. Or they just feel like they have power where they at and they just settle there. Or other things like mental health conditions and health conditions like that. So there were other people who looked like us that was there too, just picking on each other. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was just a lot more from the people that looked like me. And was this happening like on the bus or after school, like at the school or just in the neighborhood? Like where did, where did those kind of events happen? Oh, well, first you, you also had you also asked me like why do I think this was happening? So I kind of want to address that just a little. Yep. Um, let me see. I think this was happening because it's a. Ah, uh, let me see. I feel like we we 
are born into an area where we feel like was already made for hate, like made out of hate, like the ghetto and the neighborhoods that we were forced here or that we feel like we things were taken away from us. So it's a lot of pain. And then we just express this pain towards each other for some reason, because it's almost that's all we know. And that's all we're taught. And we learn from watching others look like us who are, who are older than us, doing the same thing to each other. We're not able to look away and see any other way to really handle how to gain popularity in a healthy way. What does that look like? We're not thinking about that. All we're thinking about, oh, wait, I'm fun. I could make this person feel bad. Everybody like me. I'm going to crack your, oh, get on you, boy, and just go. We just go in. Or we still, we beat each other up for status and take things that we feel like we need because we're, we're just stuck in these deserts and like this, like a food desert. Just we eat each other alive, eat each other alive instead of. I don't even know, bro. It's, it's kind of like without people older than us just looking after us in a way more healthy way and kind of stopping these generational curses. I think these things will just continue. We will continue to just eat each other alive. Now, and who is we? Uh, when you say we, who is we? We as in people who live in those environments. So it's not like it's not like race specific or gender specific or anything. It's more just people who live in a in lower economic status, like take neighborhoods where the schools tend to be worse because they're not like maintained the same way. The books aren't as, as good. Um, the stores aren't, you don't find like healthier store and food options in those neighborhoods. Um, it's a lot of drugs there. It's a lot of violence there. It's just a lot of trauma and suffering. And it's just bred through each, through each family and through each generation. And it's very hard to stop. It's very hard to stop it now. And yeah, so it wasn't just, uh, in the schools and stuff, get on the bus, you can get ranked on on the bus, you can get ranked on at the store, you get ranked on at the corner, you get ranked on people passing by your house, you just sit on your porch. And you're like, boy, you know, you're stupid, and just, just jump on And And it, there's, there's such an interesting psychology behind what it's called, getting ranked on. Mm-hmm. Ranked on, right? And I've never heard that term before right now. Uh, growing up in Chicago, that's not something that we we never use that term. And you know how it is everywhere across the world. There's different terminology for the same stuff. But we're ranking on each other, right? And I just want to talk about it like in the context you presented. Like we're ranking on each other. And it's like, what is a rank? You know, if you're the number one team in a sport, you are, quote unquote, better than or above certain other teams. You like you should be able to defeat certain teams, right? Like in a sports situation. So then it's like you look at the psychology of this ranking like scenario at the school and it's just like, "Hey, let me rank higher than you by having a better word game with essentially is me trying to make you feel bad or or put you down, put you beneath me." And it's a, like a fear-based tactic. It's based in shame, based in guilt, based in uh, let me pick on your insecurities. If you're fat, I'm going to make fun of you for being fat. Mm-hmm. If you're too black, I'm going to pick on you for being too black because no one should be that dark. you know. Or if you're like the really skinny kid, you, you know, because you know how some kids, they just can't put on any weight whatsoever. They don't get fat. They don't get muscle. They're just, they're just skinny. Let me make fun of you because you're the invisible man or what rubber band man, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's interesting because there's this like sociology, uh, not sociology, I'm sorry, a socialization of the, the culture there getting to know each other. 
And it's all made through self-hate and putting each other down and very low vibrational energy. So where do you think that came from? Let me see. I think it's the ranking part. I think it because I don't think that's a be I don't think that's a behavior that and I mean I could be wrong, but I just don't think that that's something that if you just took ten random kids from across the world mm-hmm. and you put them together and let's just say I don't know anywhere just say Costa Rica and you just put them on like a beach and you just say hey here go interact with each other I don't know if they would be trying to tear each other down like that just ten random people I feel like that's more of a a mindset that's kind of passed on. What, what do you What do you think? Um, okay, so one one thing I've observed is when you're a little kid, you have this. It starts there, like um, you start like picking on each other, but in a fun way. You'd be like, um, yo, yo, big, yo, big head, yo, big old. And you see little kids, just, it's funny to watch little kids pick on each other. Like you gotta stop with your big. You know, they just little cracking little jokes to each other. You know, it starts there, then it grows because some kids could get. It. Um, become good at it, great at it. Other kids, you know, don't. And the better you are, the more people love you around because you will always make that person laugh. So, in addition to everything you said, it may be. I think. It, I think it's also awareness. And without that awareness, people don't care. Say, because if a person knew how traumatic that would be, or the scope of what, like what would happen to that person going forward after being picked on for so long, that some people kill themselves and all these other mental health conditions or like you like the person has things going on at home that they can't even control and that's why they look that way like maybe mm. they don't have lights on at their right. house they can't do right. they don't have water they don't ha- they're not trying to be they're not trying to be in the way they don't want to they don't want to be in the way at all they don't want to be seen in a lot of times but you are making this person be seen but not in a good way they don't understand. They just don't see it though, because at that point, what they're looking at is opportunity to get people to lack the to gain something. They're trying to gain something, which is maybe popularity, status, attention. Maybe they're not getting it at home, but there are a lot of kids who do get it at home, and they still want it from outside. They want to jump on this person, and everybody will laugh at all of their jokes, and, and it makes them feel good. It makes them feel powerful. Um, they usually get like leadership roles inside of the friend groups. Everyone wants wants to be. Everyone wants to laugh, so they look to that person to make them laugh, and they they take over that responsibility. And it's not looking at the little person like, "Oh, I'm hurting them." There's no empathy there, you know. Mm-hmm. And like the only type of empathy empathy that we experience is little siblings. You take you take a cookie. Your, your little brother wants it, and your mom like, "Well, you better give him that cookie." You don't want to give him. They're making you do it, so you're not you're not caring. You're doing it, you're giving and being nice because you have to, not because you want to. So how do we teach us to become aware of these, aware of how we can hurt people and like the scope of the effect and what it means to care? How do you teach caring? Because if more people care, more kids care about each other and care what happened, maybe they will engage in those type of activities. But I mean, in the neighborhood, we look at it like, that's fun, but you, you got to get your game up. You're going to have to figure out how to joke. Or you better stay in the house because anytime you come out, everyone's going to jump on you and just pick on whatever. So you're an author of two books. To become an author, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, I believe that 
you need to have one of two things happen. I think you either, one, you practice for a long time, or I think you need to be extremely inspired by something, whether that's a story, a moment, um, a feeling, you know, I've seen where people were just really inspired by something. They wrote a book and that's how they launched their career. Or some people, they're just, they're just writers. They just, they just love words and expressing, um, where did your journey begin as a writer? Was it in your in your childhood, in high school? Uh, just when you first started, you know, with poetry or putting words together, talk us through where that began. All right. First thing popping in my mind is, is this. It's, it's really interesting, too. Um, when I was in middle school, that's when I discovered horoscopes. I would read the horoscope. I'm like, oh, I'm a cancer. And it gave me this, it just tell me about myself. And I'm like, oh, that's me. That's me. Then I would, you know, tell people about their horoscope. Hey, what's your what's your zodiac sign? And they'll tell me. I read about them. I love seeing people react. But that's me. That's me. And I'm reading these things like, saying, "What people? How do they know how people? How 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 do you know? How is this thing connected? How can you just? How do people relate to everything you're saying? Like, how do they know that?" So I started doing little experiments. I bought me a composition. This is in middle school. I bought a composition book. You know, the one that's like black and white. It says composition. You get it for like journal. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep, I've I've had I've owned those. I got one of those. I bought one, and um, what I did was I would write down each zodiac sign and arrange the note that it said. So I'll just write it, write it out. I'll read it, write it. So if it was a Cancer zodiac sign, I'll put the the description of a can- the, the that day's Cancer zodiac with like Taurus or Aries. So I will go up to people and say, "Hey, what's your zodiac sign?" And they will tell me, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, you're a Taurus." And I'll read the Taurus horoscope, but it's not the actual Taurus horoscope. It might be like a Aries horoscope. And they will still say, oh, that's me. That's me. So I'm like, okay, people don't really know themselves. We don't really know ourselves. Something is, is something about this. You can just write something where people just think it's them. Like think it's them. And that Those type of things became interesting. And that sparked the passion to understand human behavior and how we look at ourselves and like, all things connected to cognition. Um, I started wondering what psychology was before I knew what that term was. I get to um, high school. I was, it was my first time um, getting an opportunity to take a psychology class. And that's when things started connecting about um, human behavior and how um, how the mind works and how we learn behavior and how we can unlearn and relearn. And that stuff started to fascinate me. Um, that's more of the passion started to grow to just investigate that, investigate the human mind, investigate how um, human behavior and how people connect with each other. Um, now we get to college and I'm writing, I have um, essay classes we have to write. And these teachers are telling me, hey, you're a great writer, you're going to be a writer one day. But that was never a goal of mine. I was just writing and I like writing about those topics. And we can write about psychology. I love going and doing research, watching the videos and just learning. And I love expressing my thoughts about it. That's all it was. And I'll get my A and that's it. And them telling me you're going to be a writer one day. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do this for a living. I don't know. Um, my last year in college, I went through a heartbreak. So this add on to more inspiration to be a writer. And I started to write poetry that rhymes. At first, I'm like, this is the corniest thing I'm doing. Like, violins are red and all this stuff. I was rhyming and uh, my teammates hated it because we on a football team. We're supposed to be tough and we're supposed to be men. We're supposed to be menly. And we're supposed to be bros. I'm over here writing love poetry about heartbreaks on my Instagram. So slowly but surely, my teammates start to unfollow me. 
I only got more women following me. They like they were liking it. So I'm like, All right, I'll keep going. Um, there was a post. I don't remember what the post was, but I, I just shared in a, a random thought. It wasn't about poetry. I just shared a random thought, and it got more likes than 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 um than than any of the poetry. I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of the poetry. It takes too long. It's not. But I'm not actually passionate anymore. I'm over this breakup. So I just started sharing random thoughts on Instagram. And I started looking at how people date each other and why they date. And I looked at the psychology of the relationships. And that's when I started to learn about the term situationships. Um, that's when I came out with the term. And I wish I would have patented it because I hear it used all the time as books and movies and shows written about it. And that's when I was like, you know what? I just want to share this. And then I met you and Joe Brock. And you guys would just kind of put it in my head like, hey, why not just write a book? Like people may, may be interested in, in learning this and have it in, have it in their hands. So I just took that chance and I was like, all right. And I jumped out and I wrote Broken Visions about situationships. So it developed for you over time. Yeah. Let's go back to when you said your teammates hated it. I think there's there's something there. How did that even, you know, your teammates hated it. You were playing football at uh, FIU, Florida yeah. International University, Panthers, That's right? That's it. And your teammates hated it. Uh, when did they hate it? Did they hate it while you were playing or did they hate it after? Like, when did they find out you you were doing that? I think it was just more uncomfortable during. It was like, come on, bro. Like, this all this sweet stuff. Like, we too young to be stressing over these girls. There's so many women out there. Let's focus on getting this money on the field. And the girls will come. Like, get over it. That's, you know, that was it. It wasn't too bad at first. It was when I just started sharing my thoughts about relationships. This is one of my regrets about the writing process, like becoming into a writing process. I started posting things that came off like man bashing and it was getting the reaction, the same feeling I was getting when I was switching horoscopes and people liked it. I was getting that same feel, that same feeling when I would post something like, man ain't shit, like men, men are bad for you and stuff like that. And women were just eating it up. I'm like, oh, okay, let me, let me just, you know, let's see, let's see this. So I'm just posting and like, when a man says this, when a man is this, a real man this, a real man that, find some man who can do. I was doing all that and feeding it and boom, throwing it out. Me not even reflecting on how dangerous that is and how wrong that is and how that's like pandering. I didn't even know. I was just doing that. Boom, boom, boom. My teammates looking at it like I'm snitching. I'm telling the secrets. I'm telling the men secrets. Their girlfriends are following me and they're looking at my account like, wait a minute. So that's what a man means when he does this and that's what he says, blah, blah, blah. And they would go to their boyfriends and breaking up and DMing my my post to their boyfriends who are on my team. And they come to me like, bro, you got to stop this, man. You got my girl asking questions. You got, <laughs> you got her tripping. And I'm over here trying to do my thing. You, 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 put, you putting the boys out. And right. I, I, I was thinking like, man, I'm getting attention now on social media. I don't care about you. Treat her right, man. I'm trying to take on a persona of the love guru. Treat your girl right or nobody else, you know, or your one man's treasure is another, something like that. I'm just going, I'm going full out. And I was doing that. And I started gaining followers. I think I got up to like 5,000 with that, this man bashing. I met um, another writer and she introduced me to Joe. And then um, I looked at some of Joe content and Joe wasn't like that. Like, like how it was, he wasn't as into it. He was just, but he wasn't like holding back either. Like he would go in on all type of topics. And he was like unfiltered. And I was like, okay, this kind of interesting. Like I'm going in, you know, women like it. He going in with exotic poetry. Women. All right, let's, all right, let's see. Let's get more into it. So we met you 
And that's when you got into it. And we all kind of just went through our phase of just posting certain material that we probably would not post this day. And um, now all of my teammates do not follow me. <laughs> they will not follow me. Even though I feel like I went on a um, course correct process, we're not uh, making sure like my content is gender specific because it's important that men feel like someone can speak for them and not just against them, especially if you're a guy too and have their story told and have their perspective told so they can ha have, so things can be communicated to, to women because if a lot of women follow me and I'm telling them what the actual reality is, the truth, and they're able to kind of see what, what we think when we're, we get into these type of relationships, what we feel. So I, that, during that process, guys started to um, DM me about advice and stuff, even if I'm not the greatest advice giver, they just wanted perspective. And then a little, little, little bit of time passed and a couple of my teammates will ask me for advice too. So that was interesting, but they just wasn't having the man bashing content, bro. And so now you regret that content. How did you feel about it at the time? Did you have any, any like negative associations with it then? Did you feel genuine at the moment? Like what was kind of like the motivation for even creating that content? I think at that time it felt, um, I think it felt real. It felt genuine at first, but just to look back, I know that some of that had to do with just gaining the popularity and the pandering mm -hmm. and learning yeah. how to use words to get people to relate because it was feeding that but from the, from the um, horoscope days, just getting, just, just telling people about themselves and having them agree and saying things that they already, already know. We're just saying it over and over in different ways and they in the comment section like yes i've never heard it this way but i literally said the same thing two days ago in another way it's the same idea i didn't say anything new i didn't say anything that you don't already know i'm not giving you any new advice right now i'm just telling you men aren't good when they lie you already know that but i wasn't talking about the women's side so i didn't even know at that point that i was doing this whole empowerment women thing trying or trying to pretend I was, but what's the point of trying to just empower women when you're not empowering the fellas? You talking down and who are these empowered, quote unquote, empowered women on a date? If there's no kind of like conversation with guys to figure out what's our healthy way to, to handle these relationships. So it's definitely a regret because I didn't feel like it was all genuine, you know? Maybe it started that way with the heartbreak, but over time, for that little bit of time, it was just, I feel like it was like manipulation. Like, mm -hmm. But the people who were, were reading that content, and I mean, we're talking like seven, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so you've, you've grown a lot as a person, as a, as a creator, as an author. But the people who were reading that content at the time, mm -hmm. they were getting what they needed. Would you say that? That they were getting what they needed? They were getting some type of healing, some type of relief, maybe some type of help or encouragement. Would you, would you say that or would you... What, what would you say about that? I would say that at I, the time, yeah, at the time, I believe they were getting something out of it that could help them. And I think that was just a result of me studying their reaction to the content. If mm. I, over I put the content, the more I invested into the content, making it sound nice, making sure where, where can they apply this genuinely in their life? Because if they can apply it and it actually works, they're going to tag somebody in this post and then someone else is going to see it. It's going to help them, but in turn, it's going to help me because my page is going to grow. People are going to be like, oh, I love your thoughts. That is the center of everything. That, 
people loving my thoughts. You don't got to love anything else about me, but I'm always prideful about my thoughts. I always wanted to share those. So the more attention I pay to just diving into the comment section or like replying to comments, replying to DM, really investing in just telling people things that I think will help them, I felt like that would just come back to me. Them saying thank you. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, hey, this advice work. Let me make it better. Let me make it better. Let me make it better. Not just for them, just so I can freaking like play it, play it through my mind a million times of how how this is good, it's helpful, and I can spread it to people, and people are gonna like it. They're gonna think I'm a super intelligent person, and they're gonna follow. So you were able to really sit down and look at the psychology behind mm-hmm. not only what you were creating but how it was impacting people. Yeah. And you care deeply about the whole process. It wasn't just, oh, hey, I'm going to write what I want to write. I'm just going to create what I want to create. And that's just it. It was, no, I'm going to entrench myself in this process. I'm going to see, I want to see the feedback. I want to see what they think. I want to see how they respond to it. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I want to be able to see, I want to be able to see this content through their eyes. That's really the lens you took as a, as an author is like, yeah, you took a, uh, uh, an omnipresent lens to your work. Like you uh, completely immerse yourself. Mm-hmm. One day I can say what, 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 cre- what sparked the more genuine side, more genuine path. And when I, when I realized, you know what, this is about them. Like it's, this is about them because maybe I'm not going to be like good at loving me, but I think I'm really good at loving other people. If I just let go, of trying to gain anything from them. Let me just put out things that I really think will help them and me. I don't know if I can live up to my own advice, but there's somebody that's gonna hear it and they can live up to it and just prove to me that it works. And if maybe if I can see that it works, I can heal too and everyone else can heal from it or they can use it. Everything that I say, they can just use it as a tool. It's not like set in stone at what I say work but they can use it as a tool. Add it to your toolkit of everything else you've been learning about yourself. Maybe this can actually help people. Maybe I can actually mean something here. Maybe I don't got to tear myself down and take on the same trait of a picker and just picking on myself. Maybe what I'm saying is, is a good thing. So I just started caring about people's story. Then I started doing more research. That's the path I've, I've been on now. The moment that set that up, that, that was the catalyst for that moment was I was on Snapchat and there was this gay man who sent me a DM and this is the first time this is the first time me experiencing this he just started talking about advice like asking for advice about a relationship at first I didn't know like what was his sexual orientation and he was just talking about you know like a situationship and it matched anything that a woman has ever told me about their experience in a situationship and then he was crying he's on Snapchat crying this man is hurting and I'm thinking oh like this woman is really putting him through this like like, God, I forgot we go through this too. He's just reaching out to me. And then um, he said, man, like he said, the guy is a, a man. And then before I snap back, I'm there with my mom. I'm like, this is this is different. Like, you know, someone who has a different sexual orientation than me never asked for advice. I didn't even think this advice would work. I never just sat back and thought, thought of that. So I talk, had to talk with my mom. She was like, tell him exactly what you would tell women. Because it's not about gender here. This is just about communication, which both genders need to get better at. So I talked to him about that, like communicating, being honest, making things clear, what is the situation and then he was just happy that I was just willing to hear a story and give a perspective. And that made me feel like, you know what? I I, I gotta 
I got to do this for people. Like, I got to be used here in whatever capacity. I enjoy it, and I want them to be able to benefit from it. That's, that's what Pat I've been on. So I've been on course correcting, um, learning how to forgive myself for previous ways I used to post, paying more attention to how I say things and when I say it now so that I don't offend people or, like, make people think that I'm a love guru, that I know it all. I'm really just sharing my thoughts, and I hope it helps them. You clearly are good at what you do. You have sold thousands of books. I'm not going to pretend to know your number, um, but I know you've sold thousands of books and have helped a lot of people uh, with your two books. What are the What are your titles of your two books? My first book is called Broken Vision, No Situationships by Horatio Jones. My second book is I Am the Love of My Life by Horatio Jones. And where could people find those books? You can currently find these books on Amazon.com. Type in Horatio Jones or you can type in Horatio Jones. I am love my life and Google and it'll pop up. Now, you are a different person than the author who wrote those books. Do you have a project that you're working on now? Do you have different writings? Talk to me about your creativity at this moment in time. Okay, let's see. So I want to start to say that uh, December 6, 2018, I made a huge decision. To huge decision. Yeah, you know, huge decision. This is, a, this is a decision about what kind of lifestyle I'm going to take on, what type of identity I'm going to take on. And I chose um, to follow Jesus. Um, I read, got into the Bible, and I felt like something was calling me there. Like, maybe there's something to this. This is something that's been used for centuries and I can't just ignore it. There may be some who is too sophisticated to just be completely false. You know, let me investigate it. And as I got into it, I decided, you know what? I I want to pursue this like in a way that like specifically or like exclusively in a way. So I decided to do that. This just took me on a whole different process of dying to myself and breaking down all barriers are built, being exposed to all traumas, addressing all of my faults, and just repenting for it all, wanting to turn away from anything that will take me back to, to those type of behavior patterns. So it caused a conflict because I had two books out that were not written in the, the faith that I chose. And also, what does it look like to, to choose Jesus and to write a book is this book for me? Because we're not called to just do things for ourselves. We're called to do things that are for others, loving others. What do I tell them? If I'm going to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, this is the way, there's nothing else to tell people then. If that's the way I'm accepting, what else can I tell them? How to love themselves? The Bible got it, got it covered. Um, what, where should they work? How should they work? How should they live? The Bible got it covered. What, what else do I tell people? Do I read the Bible and then rewrite it in a different way? No, that's fascinating. So what what kind of how can I be an author? And I started investigating Christian writers. They're all doing the thing I didn't want to do, which is you read the Bible and then you make it your own thing in a way. Like you give your own understanding of it and give it to people. And it sounds nice. The same exact thing people do who are not Christian, just their own ideas and they put things together and they give it to people and, and hope that it may help them or for whatever the reason. So, wow, it was a struggle for from D December 6th all the way until maybe this year, I'll say February, 
because that's right around the corner. Um, I decided there's no way me or anyone on earth can actually be like a perfect Christian. And I'm going to trust that whatever material I put out, it is from my heart. My attempt is to extend the love that I'm feeling from Jesus. It's not about telling people that they have to be Christians. I'm not going to be jumping down people's throat. You going to hell? No, that is not the route I'm taking. I want to talk about more about mental health and the psychology of relationships. That's my aim. So I have two books that I'm, I'm working on. My first poetry book that I want to put out, it's called Parachute. This book is just about my individual journey from being in the world and my my journey through Christ. It's a poetry book, me just sharing. You know, I just want to put that out. That's that's for me. I want to put that type of, I want to put that art out. It's in my heart. I want to put it out now. Others can can read it. My the second book is called uh, Bodies. This book is about all the things I've discovered about mental health. First, by going through it, like with depression and anxiety, the research I found, and why we even enter situationships in the first place, or why, like, what are these behavior traits, or why it's so hard to communicate with each other, like all of these things we have issues with in relationships. I want to investigate almost every detail of it. And yeah, that's the two books I'm coming out with Bodies by Horatio Jones and Parachute. I don't have like a specific date. But this writing process has been different than others. With others, it was just coming out naturally. Here, it's requiring me to do more reevaluation of myself and self-reflection to make sure that what I put out this time, it's it's all passion-based. You know, before there was a little struggle, I guess, with at, at towards the end, of feeling like I wrote a book that's called "I'm the Love of My Life," but then at the end of it, I realized that I wasn't. But I want these two books to be. A, a more true representation of who I am and, and what's in my head. I think the the really intriguing part about your journey is that you're willing to allow yourself to change. Mm-hmm. And you also have been, at least this is just what I'm, I'm hearing. It sounds like you've, you found with what you're passionate about, at least one of the things you're passionate about. Um, I don't really like when people speak of passion as if there's only one thing a person can be passionate about. But it sounds like you found at least one of the things that you're passionate about, which really actually kind of kind of facilitates a couple of things you're passionate about. Through the writing process, you're you have this this passion for writing and for creating. But then the content is another passion of yours where you're you're diving into relationships and studying relationships and then the relationship we have with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting just to hear as an outsider, because when I listen to your story, especially with the things you were experiencing in your childhood, where you're seeing this pain, you're experiencing pain, other people are going through it around you, and there's a culture of pain through the... Uh, through the rankings, you know, through the rankings, there's this pain. But then now as an adult, you're like, hey, my mission is to help people figure out why they're in pain, to help them get out. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm going to show you guys that I'm doing the same thing. Like, I'm doing the same work. I'm I'm freeing my energy as well. And it's it's a story that, I mean, I totally relate to you. 
Um, I mean, I feel like if we just switched names or switched positions, like it, it would be the same thing, obviously different details, but just very similar uh, motivational factors. You know, for me, definitely going through my parents, uh, my parents just breaking up and DUI and drinking and both being alcoholics, mother being emotionally unavailable, uh, never being willing to talk to me. Like you mentioned sexuality. I remember the very first time I had a sexual experience uh, and it was simple. It was just a kiss in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. I went to go talk to my mom about it and I didn't give you permission to kiss girls. You need to leave girls alone. Mm -hmm. And then literally about a month later, the, uh, my friend, my really good friend at the time, his name was Jose. I used to always go to his house and play. We would play like Sega Saturn. Mm -hmm. We'd be playing, you know, his mom would cook. He was Mexican. So his mom would be making tacos, enchiladas, yeah, tostadas. Yeah. Like we were just in there eating. <laughs> and so I remember being at school and Jose, he had this, you know, this nudie magazine and um, he was like, Hey man, I got, I got this magazine. <laughs> I'm like, what magazine? Like, what are you talking about? So he's like, look, look, look. So I look and it's just like ass, vagina, titties, like yeah. pubic hair. Like it's all, it's all girls just posing naked women. I should say it wasn't girls. It was grown women. And I remember being so like unsure of what to do. I'm like, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know how to react. I had never had those conversations with anyone. So he was like, here, man, why don't you uh, take it home and, and, and take a look? And this was in school. So I was like, OK, yeah, I'll take it. That's cool. You know, because I didn't want to tell him no, because, you know, I didn't want to come off as not masculine, not tough. Like, you know, so I was like, OK, yeah, I'll take it home. So sure enough, I take the magazine home and I don't even look at the magazine. It doesn't come out of my backpack. I eat dinner with my family that night. We go to sleep. I wake up in the next morning and I, I really like to walk to school um, because of a lot, of a lot of the things you were talking about with ranking. You know, every time I rode the bus, somebody was trying to fight. Someone was yelling. It was just so much like unruly energy. And then being at home, there was so much unruly energy. And then I'm at school all day. So I never had time to myself. So what I what I figured out was if I would just walk home or walk to school, I could get at least 40 minutes to myself. Mm -hmm. to and from both ways mm -hmm. and growing up in chicago you know it gets cold after a while but i didn't even care i'm like hey man i need this a long time so i'm getting ready to uh walk out the house and like go to school and my dad who was usually gone by the time i left was not gone and it was just me and him my brother and sister are gone my mother's gone it's just me and him and he's like you got anything to tell me and keep in mind, this is like a, a month or so after my mom just scolded me for my first kiss. And I'm like, something to tell you. So I'm instantly thinking, you know, my mom told him about the first kiss and like, maybe I should bring that up. But then I was so scared of my dad. Like I grew up in fear of my dad um, because he was so militant. And, you know, he, at this point in life, he was an alcoholic. So I'm just like trembling. I'm like, uh, no, nah, I don't have nothing to tell you. Mm -hmm. But the thing is is growing up with him made me it made me really quick with my thoughts because since he was an army guy you couldn't show fear you couldn't show that people could get the best of you you couldn't show that he could put pressure on you and that you would lose your cool mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know. So he really taught even at this time in seventh grade. What am I? Twelve years old. I'm quick on my thoughts. Like you can't see how I feel. I'm able to keep face. You know, I'm able to maintain my face. And I'm like, oh no, I don't. I don't have anything to tell you, knowing damn well that there's a you know hundred page porn magazine in my backpack that he may have seen, mm-hmm. knowing that I just kissed a girl. Like I know that there's things I should probably be telling them. But I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe telling them. I don't feel open, like I can open up. So he goes, I'm going to ask you one more time. You know how parents always do that. He's like, I'm going to ask you one more time. I'm going to give you one more opportunity to tell me the truth. Do you have anything to tell me? I'm like, uh, no, I don't. At this point, I was just like, hey, whatever he gives me, he gives me. Yeah, you want to speak with the man. Yeah, I'm like, at this point, like, he's... <laughs> You might as well just come on and bring it to the next level, buddy, because I'm I'm not changing what I said. <laughs> so he pulls the magazine out. This, is- this man pulls the magazine out of my back. And I felt so betrayed because I'm just like thinking to myself, why is he going through my backpack? Mm-hmm. And then I'm asking myself, this is all in the moment. I'm like, why is he, does he always go through my backpack? Or is this the very first time he went through my backpack? And if he does go through my backpack, why doesn't he help me with my homework that I struggle with? Mm-hmm. What are you looking like for? What, you know, like I like you're looking for something. Help me with my damn homework. Exactly. So he beats my ass. I mean, he he beat me. He beat the he beat the shit out of me. And them army dad beating is different, ain't they? Oh man, them armies, <laughs> them army beatings, boy. Army and then it's like this is bro. It's like 7.30 in the morning. Ooh. I had just woken up. Like, I had just woken up. I got my little shower, got my clothes ready. After he beats my ass, he's like, all right, get your stuff together. We're, you're going to school. Wait a minute. So you beat my ass in the morning and I still have to go to school? Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't believe this, dude. Like, I couldn't believe this. And it was like, that month of my life was one of the most impactful months because that month is like really what caused me to start writing mm. and, and to really start writing because I was just so curious as to why all this stuff was happening. And there was clearly no one for me to talk to. At least that's how I felt. There was people I could have talked to. Um, I didn't feel like I could talk to my family because my immediate family, we lived about 40 miles from, so my, my family grew up, we're all from the South side of Chicago. But at the time of this story, we were living in the suburbs in Arlington Heights, Illinois, which is about 45 minutes North. So everything you were talking about, about Hialeah, about um, Liberty city, that's how the South, South side of Chicago is. It's the exact same thing, just different labels. So we left there because that's where my parents grew up. We left there and went to the suburbs. The whole premise was, hey, if we live in the suburbs, it'd be nicer, better schools, uh, better education, not a, not a lot of crime. The kids could play outside. I'm the oldest of three. So, I mean, that was all good in theory. But what do they always say? You could take the person out the hood, but you can't take the hood out the person. Can't do it. You can't do it. Like, you, you can't do it until they're ready, until they're ready to free their energy. And my parents brought their hood mentality to the suburbs. And the thing about my parents is it was deceiving. It was deceiving because my parents are highly intellectual, highly intellectual, high performing. We both, they both speak proper. Uh, They both are readers, educated, holding, holding degrees, 
you know, my dad was a successful chef. He was a successful entrepreneur. Um, he played baseball as well. My mom was a successful administrative assistant. So, uh, you know, my dad was in the army. So it's like you you look at these people and they're not bad people. And I'm not trying to paint my paint the picture of them as if they're bad, but they had uh, some qualities that definitely, definitely gave us a disadvantage in a way. I gave us an advantage in another way, but then gave us a disadvantage in one way, us being me, my brother and sister. And that disadvantage being some trauma and pain, the advantages being, uh, I would say, the deep, deep thinking, mm -hmm. awareness. They weren't. They didn't allow any of us to be stupid. We're we're all, we're all very intelligent, very aware uh, thinkers. And I just relate to you with how you grew up and what you went through, and then how you've arrived at a point as an adult where you're like, okay. I want to heal myself and and discover deeper versions of me. But then also at the same time, through art, I want to share my findings with people and with the hope of it may help them, you know, and I, I totally relate because I, I feel like that's also my mission. So how do we, I think we're both at a point where we have healed a lot, um, I don't think healing ever ends. I think it's personally, I think it's a journey that will always continue. Uh, and how do we now at this point in our lives where we kind of have a clearer vision of what feels genuine to us, how do we move forward with that? What, what do you think is kind of where the intention should go or the energy should go? Talk to me about that. Um, opinion, bro. I think it should start with, Forgiveness. So forgiveness may mean something different for everybody. So I'll kind of share what I think that is. Um, I wrote about it the other day. And to me, like for, for a long time, forgiveness has been something that I felt like we had to do in order to free ourselves from the pain of the situation. Like it's for us and not really for that person, it's for us. But I've tried that method and it doesn't seem to work for me. So if it doesn't seem to work for other people, maybe this one would the new method I adopted and which has been helping starting off with forgiveness and realizing what is that? Well, at first it starts from, from, from my faith, but they can call it wherever they want to call it coming from the universe or enter them, whatever they want to call it. But for me, I feel like um, we're taught to ask for forgiveness and we're granted that forgiveness and that forgiveness is called a gift. We can, if we see forgiveness as a gift, we can gift it to someone else. Maybe we not, maybe we don't believe that person deserves the forgiveness, but we gift it to them anyway. We're called to love on people anyway, despite what they do or don't do. Here's a gift of forgiveness that I'm giving to you. It's not only to release me from the situation, but it's also to release you from the guilt of hurting me. Like of people who hurt us from our past and people who have done us wrong and even ourselves at for what we've done and haven't forgiven yet. Gift it. It's a gift. We wrap it here. Here's a gift. I become a forgiver. That is a great thing to be. That's a great thing to learn how to be someone who can forgive. And also I'm giving a gift to someone who doesn't deserve it. If they ever come around to feeling guilty, they can be freed from that guilt by accepting a gift, a free gift. You ain't got to work for it. You didn't have to apologize. There's no point for us to rekindle or reconciliate, like reform a relationship. Here's a gift of forgiveness. I want to be a forgiver. You can now be someone who is forgiven. And now I can move on with my life. And that's it. I think it starts there. Once we let go of like those those negative feelings and attachments and 
from from the past and the regret and everything, then we free up some space. Now we can start working towards things like becoming more aware of our trauma and how is the trauma being manifested in our everyday actions. And then once we realize how the trauma is affecting us, we realize that we may have been hurting people more than we thought we have. And we may be more hurt from people than we thought we have. So now it's a new healing journey. Now we got to forgive ourselves all over again for the new information that's revealed through the traumas that's been manifested that we've recently discovered. We come, then we become more aware of our behaviors. And then we learn how to edit behavior through relearning and unlearning. We just investigate ourselves every day, all the time. This is something that I learned by just analyzing how religion in general is. And religion seems to be something where people rehearse the same thing over and over and over. It must mean something. Maybe it is important that we engage in activities like this. We rehearse how to love ourselves. Every day, why take a break? Why take time off? Religious people aren't called to take any time off. They do it every day. They become very versed in the Bible and very versed in what they need to do in their walk because they reverse every day. So it must be some assumption that humans are just forgettable and we don't pay enough attention. So we have to get we have to get together in big groups of similarity, loving on each other proactively and sharing our perspective of this love and rehearsing the behaviors every day, holding each other accountable every single day getting into routines every single day of healing, forgiving, forgetting, letting things go, grabbing new things every single day. And I think over time of just engaging in that method, we just slowly become better people. There's no end to it. We just constantly grow. And also this protects us from three other or two other things that I've realized that that slows this process down of, of getting to like a better place and, and forgiving and letting go to pass. And that's um, regression and relapse. We, I don't know if people pay attention to their, their journey, but when we are doing this healing journey, or whatever it may look like, we may relapse and we may um, fall into recession, like go back to doing the things we used to do. But that doesn't mean like we're not healing anymore. That's just a part of the journey because we're not perfect at healing. No one knows how to do it in a perfect way. So we're going to fall back and do those same behaviors. But we protect ourselves by rehearsing the better behaviors because we they start to become second nature. Then we start to become aware when we're about to go back into the same habits that caused us to be a certain way or things that we're trying to change. Over time, we just become better people by rehearsal. And I think that's how we, we make it. I think that's how we make it out of wherever, whatever we're dealing with. Yeah, I totally second that. I mean, if you, if you want to write, if you're a new author and you want to write a book, you need to write every day. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in shape, you need to be, you may not necessarily need to do the exact same workout every day, mm-hmm. but you need to be mindful of the fact that, hey, I'm getting in shape and I'm doing something towards that. You know, habits. I mean, if you wrote a, a great book on habits right now, it would be a bestseller. Habits yeah. are Bodies a part of. Habits. The book, um, habits, it, has a, it starts off talking about habits. That's the most important thing in the book. About Yeah, habits is the most important thing, man. Behavior is what our life is made up of. Mm -hmm. And if you just have sporadic behavior, I mean, where are you going to be able to create anything? Where are you going to have any consistency? You know, you need habits to develop your life. Mm -hmm. You know, even the bad parts of our life are negative or low vibrational. Those are habits. I mean, a person who's an alcoholic is a person who habitually drinks. They drink all the time. Mm -hmm. 
So it's very, it's very important that we examine our habits and that we really just examine why, the why behind the habit. You know, a good habit that I'm doing right now is I track everything that I eat. I track everything. And I started doing that. I started doing it years ago out of a curiosity thing. Um, but what ended up happening for me was August 28th last year, I tore my groin. And you know me, man, you know, I'm I'm hiking, I'm running a couple of miles, I'm working out, I'm just training all the time just because I just love working out. Uh, so when I tore my groin, that was the, 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 the universe telling me that I wasn't respecting my body. I wasn't stretching enough. Uh, let me tell you about that day. I woke up in L.A., got an Uber, went to Runyon Canyon, hiked Runyon Canyon. Have you been to L.A. yet? I haven't been there for a Oh yeah, we we when this corona stuff is over, I'll meet you in LA for a little bit. I got a couple of restaurants to take you to, a couple of dinner spots. We got to do that. Everything. Yeah, some hiking out there. Mm-hmm. There's there's some spots we got to go to. So, when this is over, we're going to LA. I'm going to meet you in LA. We're going to hang out for a couple of days. All right, okay. And um uh, yeah, so I, Runyon Canyon is like the really popular hiking spot uh for tourists and this is in the center of LA. So like I hike Runyon Canyon, um, go back to the hotels, me and Daisy, we go back to the hotel, we get on the airport, fly back to uh, Phoenix. Then from Phoenix, I go to the gym and lift for an hour. Then I go back, shower, eat, whatever, and then just work. Then later that night at about seven, I went to the gym and played basketball. So instead of warming up, I just hop right on the court because I'm like, oh, I got next. Yeah, I got next. Let me get on. So if you just think about that one day of being really, really tight, waking up, going and hiking, right? Coming back, sitting in the Uber for 40 minutes, sitting on the plane for 40 minutes, sitting in the Uber again for 40 minutes. So now what are your ha- what's happening? Your glutes get tight. Your shoulders are tight. You're just hunched over because you're sitting. Then I go lift, shred my muscles, lift. I don't stretch. I eat one time and then I immediately start working. So I'm working, I'm on the computer, I'm, I'm doing my podcast stuff, I'm working on a book at the time. This was August 28th. This was five days after my birthday. So I'm doing all this stuff. Then I go to the gym. I don't even warm up when I get to the gym for the third time, the, the third workout of the day. I just start playing basketball. The very, very first play, I tore my groin. I tore, I, I just felt the whole, like the whole muscle just like LeBron. come off, come off. Like LeBron, it was the same injury LeBron had. And it was one of the worst, bro. I was I was crying. I was laying on the floor in the gym crying, and I had to ask two other guys to carry me to the front because I couldn't walk. I couldn't put any pressure on my right leg. So, uh, you know, I start healing from that, and I ended up. I was at I was in probably the best shape I had been in in a while. I got up to. I had got down to, I should say, I was 193, 192, 193. My goal, my target goal was to get to 185. When I used to play football in college, uh, in arena football, uh, my playing weight was between about 180 and 188-ish, right? And then in high school, I was like 155, right? So obviously that was still like my boy body. And then I kind of got my man body in, in college. So what I wanted to do was I told myself, Man, I got to get back down to my plant weight. As long as I can get to 180 to 188, if I can be in that range, I'm fine. So here I am. I'm at like 193, 192. I'm perfect. I'm exactly where I want to be. 
I feel like I'm in great health. And now I'm bedridden for six weeks and can't move. So instantly, and this is right after my birthday. So on my birthday, I'm, I'm I do a big birthday party. I'm out to dinner. Then obviously went to LA for a couple of days. Like I was just on cloud nine. Like my emotions were so high. I had released a free your energy book in uh, May. So, you know, I'm writing the energy of a new book. Like I'm just, just like on top of the world. When I tore my groin, I could not move. I had to lay in bed for six to eight weeks. And it was it was punishment, man. It was punishment. And I started gaining weight because I what was I doing? I was just eating because I was eating my emotions. I was eating my my the fact that I was like angry with myself. Mm-hmm. Like, you fool. Why didn't you? Then I was like self-hating. Like, why didn't you stretch? You're so stupid. Why do you just work out and work out and work out? Like, what are you working out for? What are you doing this for? Like, this was my kind of my thought. And I had to sit down with myself. I was doing a meditation and I just had to do a meditation and I just cried and I just cried and cried. And that that negative talk, I just had to let it go. And the crazy part about it was I'm not the type of person to do that. Even in the Free Your Energy book, the opening chapter, I'm talking about breaking up with unworthiness and feeling like you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And then here I am like three, four months later because of the injury and I'm just beating myself up. Like my talk track was awful and nobody outside of me knew because I don't talk, I don't talk bad about myself to other people. So nobody ever can hear what I may be feeling or thinking on the inside. But at this moment, I was just low. It's like the lowest I've been um, in like a year and a half. Like I was just at a really bad point. I kid you not, my brother, I put on, I went from 193 up to 215 and it was a bad 215. Got thick. It wasn't a good 215. It wasn't a a lifting 215. It was just a bad 215. You know, I couldn't do cardio. Couldn't, I just couldn't do anything. Huh? You said 215 or 215? No, no, no. Two, two, one, five. Okay. Okay. Yeah, if I if I get to two five zero, you're gonna hear from me because I'm gonna I'm gonna be calling you to help to move in and help me. I got something to say about weekend after this. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that platform because I know you've you've done something with it. So I'm gonna tell you we were talking about habits. So when I realized I was two fifteen, and then when I got injured, I was one ninety three, and then I was five pounds away from my goal, and then now here I am, what twenty pounds away from the goal. I was just like, oh, I just screamed. I was so upset. But at this time, my energy was good. Uh, you know, my energy was freed. I wasn't I wasn't necessarily upset with myself. I was more like upset with the situation. And like I was using that for fuel. I'm like, okay, cool. I needed this to change what I was doing. I still need to be working out. I still need to be doing what I'm doing. But now I get to change. Now I get to learn my body more. So I got to develop new habits. One of my new habits that I developed from that is stretching 30 minutes every single day, no matter what. Every single day, stretching 30 minutes a day. And you as a football player know, we didn't stretch. Oh, no. They had us out there doing some butt kicks, Frankensteins, and then playing football for three hours. So, you know, and then all the lifting we did, all the running, all the tight hips. So one of my biggest joys is just getting on the mat, stretching my hips, Mm. stretching my glutes, releasing what's in my feet, and just really just letting it go. Foam roll every day, hit the foam roller. I have a lacrosse ball that I use, too, on my feet. Do you have one of those? Not yet, but I'm I'm, I'm building up my Yeah, bro, get a lacrosse ball, and you 
roll your feet out. I do it every single day. It relieves stress. Um, and so I'm happy to report to you mm-hmm. that yeah. since my injury on August 28th, um, I had got up to about two, actually I got up to about 218. Mm-hmm. I got up to 218 and my habits and the way that, because what I always try to do is you got to have a toolkit, right? If you have a problem in your life, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But you need a toolkit. You need something in your bag that's going to help you deal with the problem, just like a plumber. Yeah. One of the things I told myself was stretch every day, 30 minutes. I have committed to that. Another thing I told myself was I have to track my food. And I have to track my food so I can be mindful of how much protein I'm getting, um, how much vitamin D, how much vitamin C, you know, my um, my macros. I track the macros. I want to know, am I eating 4,000 calories in a day. Well, what the hell did you, did you run 20 miles that day? Did you bike 50? You know what I mean? Like I wanted to become really, really mindful of what I was doing and it's really helped me develop um, a completely healthy relationship with not only my body, but then my choices because now bro, I can, I can look at a meal. Okay. There's salmon. I got some green beans and a piece of bread. I can literally tell you, okay, that piece of bread is going to give me about three grams of fiber. It's going to be a hundred calories, mostly carbohydrates. That salmon, mm, it's got some good fat. It's a lean protein. It's going to give me about, you know, 22 grams of protein. It's like, it has made me so aware of what I'm doing. And I just have so much confidence when I'm eating and I feel like I'm making a million better choices. But I know you have a journey that literally relates to that. Tell us about it. Talk talk us through it, man. Because I just saw you uh, in Florida a few weeks ago, and you mm-hmm. look phenomenal. You look great. Hey, thank you. I was thick too, now. So I know, you were thick. You were thick, boy. I posted on my social media the other day. So my this is the way it happened with me, bro. Okay. I was doing. Uh, I was writing a book called Rehab Rehab for Lovers. And this this book had like three right now it has like three hundred something page pages, but I decided not to put it out now. I'll re- revisit that like another time in my life. But it was a long journey writing this book. The last time I released the book was in two thousand sixteen, so I was re- working on that book ever since. So I'd end up just locking myself in the room where I'm shipping books and writing and posting on Instagram. I wasn't really going out, wasn't really doing anything like physical, and. I started gaining weight little by little, but it's like the thing sneaks up on you. You don't even realize it, that this is this is like the path to depression. You don't even realize you're setting yourself up for this darkness. So little by little, I'm, I'm gaining weight. I'm starting to notice like, hey, it's a little, it's a little put, I mean, a little love handle. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I could, I could pull on a little extra meat there. So I was like, all right, I'll just run. So I decided, all right, I'll just run every now and then. I'm, I'm going to get into the habit of running. But I couldn't create the habit. I couldn't like make myself create the habit. Because I already built the habit of just being in the house. And it's like the brain wants to be be so uh, efficient that it whatever whatever system it creates, like whatever um, habits it already creates, it, it, it logs off and goes on to all these other processes to do whatever else it has to do. But that process is already saved. Now you got to proactively and, and make yourself think of how to undo the habit of being in the house, waking up late, not being on an actual schedule. And just being sloppy and not a good steward of the opportunity of being a, a, a self-employed author. We, we still have to get out and go and do things. But I wasn't trying to do it. I was there writing that book, just chilling. Bro, I got up to 237 pounds. Now, in my 
football career, the most I've weighed was 215 pounds. And they put me a linebacker. I was a small linebacker in our conference. I was at 237. It wasn't of no muscle. It wasn't water. I was just sloppy. I got real sloppy and like, oh, I was, I didn't even, when I was looking at myself, I still couldn't see it yet. I saw a little difference, but I still didn't really understand until a girl called it out. She's like, boy, you're getting, you're getting chunky. Like your, your cheeks are like, fat, like a little fat. I'm like, what, what the heck? So I started looking like, wait a minute, looking at my old pictures when I was, when I had like my little eight pack. I'm like, all right, we got to do something about this. But oh, too late because now the pressure kicked in. And that's the thing that zaps you of all your energy and all your motivation and all your desire. You feel nothing. You can't feel sad or happy. You can't feel mad or frustrated. You just blank. It's just nothing. You want nothing. Nothing Nothing matters. Nothing matters. What's the point of working out if you don't care? What's the point of getting up if you don't care? What's the point of taking a shower if you don't care? So now you're in this depressed state. So now I'm in this depressed state creating more habits to support it. So now the new habits is not actually getting out the bed to do anything. Just grab my phone, get on Instagram, look, uh, maybe I post something today. Maybe I will post something that I posted like a couple years ago, just screenshot, copy, paste, and post. Not even, I'm just doing this. I don't really care. It's just a habit of posting now. I'm, I'm just doing that. Um, showering less, taking less care of myself. I'm just letting it all go because there is no care about it. And that took a long time of doing that until like I met a friend of mine. Who became like a like a I don't know pulled me out of that somehow like it was a slow process and it wasn't easy, but my homie pulled me out and then I started to realize all right now I gotta proactively figure out how to create new habits around taking better care of myself. How did I put out a book that says I am in love of my life but I'm not doing it? And I felt like the boundary was that because it wasn't a genuine feeling I didn't love myself. Look at me I didn't like it so how can I love that? So what can I do? So. I thought of this idea and I called it pain energy. The energy that I'm feeling from the pain, from the depression, whatever the energy that is, is it any way I can use it to as like at the gym? Can I just go to the gym? I don't care, but let me just go. And maybe if I'm there, maybe I'll do something. Whatever energy, negative energy I'm carrying around, I'll just burn it at the gym. Let me just at least do that. So I started that process. I started losing weight, but it rapidly because I'd had no desire to eat now. It took away that desire. All I'm doing is going out to the to the gym, put my headphones on. I might get on the bike for a while. This is what's the start of, of creating a new habit, but I didn't know. I'm just doing it. I'm just trying something different, calling pain energy. And maybe I could write a book about it one day, how we can use the depressive energy somehow to get us to the gym and just burn it all working out. And maybe our body will be a body that we can actually love now. So whatever, I'm slowly losing weight and weight is funct- um, um, fluctuating up and down. And then um, I decided to move back to Miami. And um, when I decided to do the to go the route of pursuing Jesus, it taught me to pay better attention to my body. I got to be a better steward of my, my temple. What I'm putting in it, that affects other people. The poison that I'm putting in my body it can, can become something inside of me and produce certain things or contribute to certain habits that can be hurting people. And no, we can't have that because that's just going to make me go back to the dark place I had escaped from. So what happened was now I literally love it. I stretch every day. I investigate in stretching, bro. I had set a goal to be 185 pounds. Today I weigh myself. I weigh 187. No, I want to weigh 185. And today I weigh 187. I haven't jumped on the scale in a little minute. 
And I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to jump back on. I'm still like 195 because I lost all the weight. And I and instead of just going to the gym and trying to work out for hours, I literally sometimes if I work out for five minutes a day, that's better than zero. And that's what got me building the habit little by little. All right. I, I don't feel like working out genuinely, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just do five pushups. At least I did five pushups because five pushups is better than zero. That's what I always tell myself. Five pushups, one pushup is better than zero. Then I'm like, all right, I did five, I can do 10 today. Little by little, now I'm doing 100. I'm challenging myself, let me do 100. I can't do it nonstop. I'm doing 100 puts. Now I'm seeing my body changing. And I'm, I'm liking this. Like, like I kind of like it. I like how I'm feeling. Like, I feel like I can move. I'm standing up straight. My posture is getting a little bit better. Maybe it's Maybe I need to pay more attention to this. So I'm researching how to increase flexibility. Um, on my Instagram, I, you know how you can save different posts? I have sections, calf stretches, and then calf mobility, ankle stretches, ankle mobility, wrist stretches, wrist mobility, shoulder, everything as a category on my social media, all of my saves. So I look around Instagram, looking through hashtags, looking at doctors and not just fitness trainers. I look at doctors because they focus more on the little muscles that we've neglected when we were playing football. These are important muscles. I previously learned that I have an anterior pelvic tilt. I would have never discovered that if I wasn't looking for it. And I realized that was causing the tightness in my hamstring. That's why I couldn't stretch all the way down to the ground and touch the ground. My hamstrings were overcompensating for the fact that my abs were weak and my glutes were weak. So let me get on a project. And I learned something about eccentric resistance training. This type of training will help with flexibility because you are strengthening your muscles in their elongated state. So you are stretching, but you're doing workouts with it. It's not about how fast you can do reps. It's all slow movements, up, down, pulling, having resistance at the same time as you're getting the stretch. So you can build the muscles in a stretched form. So I've done this for two weeks after I found that part. Now I'm able to touch the ground no problem that fast, bro. The stretch is, is not like my hamstrings are feel loose only because I focus on doing ab workouts and more glute workouts. I focused on my, my shoulder mobility, and I just got inspired. So let me do some handstands. I learned how to do a backflip two days ago. It's fun to, to see my body be able to do these things and to see myself slowly become someone I will actually want to love. And I think a good point, I guess, we can take out of this part is a lot of times we, 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 we talk about loving ourselves, but sometimes we just got to be honest and say we don't genuinely feel it. We can try, but you can't make yourself love anything. You can't make yourself love yourself, in my opinion. But what you, what you can do to possibly get there is to start taking better care of yourself. Because taking care doesn't always involve love. It involves your conscious decision to just do things, to take better care of yourself. And as a result, you may just become the type of person you would want to love. Maybe you can slowly fall in love with yourself by simply taking better care, taking better showers, investigating better soaps, things like that, like, water alkaline water like just putting a little bit better stuff in your body moving a little bit more and little by little you, you there was some transform transformation that may take place you may look at yourself like you know what i kind of like you now i like you i like you you look at the work you done put in you're like oh i'm capable then you could tell other people and they can do it too and it's just inspiring for everyone 187 bro we lightweight I'm not I'm not great with math, but if I do the math between 137 and 87, that's 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. Oh, sloppy, bro. Heavy. How does that feel? How does that feel to be down 50 pounds back to a weight that gives you more confidence, that gives you more mobility, 
more quality of life, uh, as well as not just down the bad weight, but also more flexible and stronger. How, how does how does that feel? It's evidence that um, it's evidence in two ways that my the decision I made to follow Christ may be the thing that's doing this for me. And if it's not that, it's still evidence that shows that I can do it if it's me. But my decision to trust that it may be Jesus, just focusing on trying to love everyone. I'm included in everyone. The more I try to love other people, I want to love myself better. How can I be able to love other people if I'm unhappy with me? Like I can do it better if I like what I look like and feel like I can do it better. I can move faster and do more and then be more motivated, have more energy to do things physically for people. It made the whole process of making that decision spiritually, it made me realize I need to live a life of being authentic and being real. It means revealing all the things that I've done in the past, forgiving and just letting go of any deception that I still have about myself. Um, recently, I talked about um, struggling with people saying thank thank, like thanking me for the material I put out. And it's hard sometimes to accept it. And I realized because I need, I have a need or, or desire to get physical with the help that I, I give now, that I don't only want to be on Instagram and writing, but how people just read the books and the quotes. I have a craving now to be out physically to put my hands on people in a helpful and helpful way. But I needed the energy and I needed the self-confidence and I needed the strength for it. Jesus helped me with it and me being obedient and getting to the gym and just being better steward of my body is helping. So I feel better physically. I'm not gonna lie, my body feels great. I like what it's looking like. I like the trajectory so far. It is making it extremely like it's just better. It's easier to deal with the negative thinking and all the other feelings that want to take me back to the, to, to the bad places, the dark places. So I guess any advice I could, I could give about it is start somewhere. Start somewhere. Like people have these expectations with goals that, to me personally, goals just meant nothing. I had no specific goal other than that weight goal. That's all I wanted to hit. But now that I'm close to it, what else? Like, what else? What else can I do now? I can I can get to something. I can set a milestone. I need that one. But everything else is, is not a goal. It's just simply just getting into it. So getting back into my writing. Um, I think one day I want to do music. I'm going to just get into it and go for it. I have proof now. I have evidence that if I trust the process I'm on, something good going to come out of it. And I may become the type of person I actually want to love. So you can too. I know that there are some people who may gain weight through the current quarantine that we're under um, mm -hmm. during the coronavirus time. People may gain 10, 15 pounds because they're just not at their office job anymore. They're not up and moving. They're not walking. Or maybe you're a server. You know, a server probably walks four to six miles a night, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so people are probably those people may gain weight. Then you have literally the gyms are closed, even apartment gyms. So, you know, people uh, who love to work out or not. Um, you know, a, able to hit the gym. So I'm pretty sure if I had to guess that there's going to be some weight gain. Yeah. So I think this is very crucial. I want to talk about the 50 pounds. Can you be a little more specific with like the actual, maybe the routine you did when you were working out, maybe the actual reps and sets? Um, was it a morning thing, night thing? Uh, I know you mentioned that, you know, just get a little bit done, just get a little bit done. Mm -hmm. But 
talk us through uh, kind of specifically either what you did to get to where you are now or what you're going to do to maintain. At first, it was no, it was like no specific method other than just get out, get out the house and go to the gym. Once you get there, grab stuff and do stuff. If you're there for 30 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes, that is better than zero. It took energy for you to get out of here in the first place, get all the way to the gym. It's hot outside. You don't actually want to be here. You just know maybe something good can come out of this if you just finally get there. Just get there. That's all that process was at first. Now it's more trying to find a structure because now it's actually a desire now. I'm starting to like it, you know, on a structuring way, find a more healthier way to do things. So maybe losing about 15 pounds, the first 15 pounds was just getting out there. But everything else started becoming more bit was based on like research. Um, how long how long do I actually need to run? Like, do I need to really go out there and run five? I'm seeing people on Instagram run five miles, and that may be their thing. But do I gotta do anything to lose weight? What what can I do to lose the weight? And why do I want to lose it? Like, what, what what's what? And the only point was just to be better for everyone else, so I can just be a, a less burden for other people in this way. So I just started to um, run for. 10 minutes. Let me just go outside, run around a block really quick. Bing. And I was able to do that more often per week. And I bought me an Apple Watch. And then uh, I had like two friends that were also working out and they kept getting alerts from every time they worked out. I'm like, man, okay. I don't want to be the friend that ain't, that ain't you know, doing something. So I started working oh, out. I got the Apple Watch. I'm about to add you on there right now. You're going to get all these type of alerts. You go, well, you just worked out two hours ago. I work out like three sometimes a day. And it's not crucial workouts. Now the process is now like I, like during the rest of the weight that was lost was just based on paying more um, attention to the science of it and information I'm finding, and also just holding myself accountable. Like my watch keeps the data, so I'm able to track days and days where I'm not working out in a row and what is happening during these days. Is it is like no wonder like I'm experiencing these depressive states. I'm I'm doing it to myself at times. I'm not getting out. I'm not pushing through. I got to figure out how to keep doing it. Even when the body doesn't want to generate the energy for me, I got to get up. I got to go. And I can see the trend. I can see the, the type of days or the weeks and track back why I'm not doing it. That information helps. So I'm jumping on in front of it now. Because the, the dark path, the, the, dark, the dark cloud is always behind. I got to stay on top. I got to stay moving forward. So now I take way better care. Like I stretch more. I'll stretch like four times a day now. Like if I'm not, if I'm not at work that day, bro, like sometimes if I'm going to play the PlayStation, I will, I'll get on my foam rollers that sit in the chair. Because when I sit in the chair, I have bad posture. And now I'm extra aware of it. And I hate feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm hunching over. Instead of sitting in the chair, I get in the foam roller with the joystick in my hand. And I just foam roll. I just foam roll. It feels good like massage. I feel my back cracking, everything loosening up, my legs as I'm playing a video game. Just foam roll. I might play the video game for two or three hours at times on, on a day off. I'm foam rolling. Something healthy is happening as I'm doing, as I'm on my leisure time playing a little video game. When I'm reading, I'm reading in a position where my legs are straight, my back, I'm sitting on the, on the floor, my legs are straight out, I'm sitting straight up. At first I will feel the stretch, but now that my hamstrings are more loose and they, they are less stressed, I'm able to just keep that position. And then I just do that as I'm reading. I keep, my, keep everything straight and hold the, hold the book out in front of me until everything starts burning. I'm getting a little workout as I'm doing something else. Um, what else? If I'm just watching Netflix or TV, sometimes I'll just get on the floor and stretch. I'll sometimes sleep on the floor with my back, with my legs up on the bed, 
and my back straight. And it gives my back a rest. It keeps the spine straight. I, just, I read that it's healthy. I just do it. I like it. Feel good. And sometimes it just reminds me to be like, grounded again. Get back on the floor, go to that place to remind myself where I can be, which is that rock bottom. And then every day when I get up from that floor again, I'm reminded that I have some power inside of me somewhere to actually do it again. So now I don't know how that weight gonna come back. I'm liking what I'm doing now. I didn't think I would ever like working out, but I found out what works for me. And I think that's the best thing people need to do. Find out the routines that work for them. I don't believe you gotta go to the gym every single day, running on a treadmill all the time. All you gotta do, in my opinion, is figure out the work workouts that can work for you. And just keep doing them. Just keep doing them. That's better than nothing. And before you know it, maybe you might just fall in love with that process and want to do it more. Did you make any shifts around uh, your sleep patterns, what you're eating, your relationship with alcohol, your relationship with sweets? Did you make any shifts there? I made a shift with smoking marijuana and alcohol. But my sleep is still trash. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> yeah, boy, because you be up, man. Yeah, I be up. My sleep is trash. That is, that's probably the most important thing, the sleep. You're a true night owl. Yeah, man, I, it's trash. I, it's a habit that that connection, that that strength on that habit is, is really strong. So I'm, I'm trying to figure that one out, but I'm trash with that. You know, I know bad sleep equals to anxiety in the day some way, and that anxiety in the day ends up being the thing that stops you from going to sleep at night. But I'm working on that part. But um, what I did change was like not smoking and also um, not drinking alcohol, but. I never really liked alcohol that much, so it wasn't that difficult. But the, the marijuana that was important for me to know that I can stop so that I can see that it wasn't like an addiction or something that I'm just using to be distracted from the world. So I just stopped. I just, I just took a break from, from those things. I made those changes as far as food. The, the biggest change, the most consistent change I've made was not drinking juice all the time. I kind of let juice go, never drinking soda again. I haven't drank soda in years. Um, and it was one more thing. Oh, I just buy water all the time and drink water. And I try to make all my friends drink water all the time. So I pay more, I pay attention to it. It's not no, a certain amount of water I take every day. Simply just starting. That's it. I'm just starting everything. That has made the biggest change. So I guess that's my routine. My routine. If it's going to be healthy, I just start it. Oh, the one consistent thing, the most consistent is the milk. I just drink almond milk. You know, I, instead of cow milk, I drink almond milk. And that's, pretty much it. So I guess the routine is just starting things that I think is going to lead to a healthier body in the future. As long as I can start it, the routine to start working itself out over time. But the most important, important thing, which is sometimes hard, is to start. Once you get started, sometimes we don't last after the third day, but if you can get to that third day, all right, let me, let me keep just, let me keep trying this little thing here. So that's the method. Try it. Just try it out, huh? Try it out, see what happens. You know, it can stick. It's the thing that can stick. Like, you're going to start becoming aware of it. You're going to start becoming convicted. If you don't do it, you're going to start feeling bad. Like, man, I know I should get some sleep, but I, that's the one I can't fight yet. But I'm, I'm getting there. One brick at a time, my brother. You build a house one brick at a time, and it just sounds like you have reached a point in your life where you have a lot of peace of mind. You have overcome a lot. You've been through a lot and you're you're really just growing into your own um, as a human, as a creator. 
just just really just finding yourself what like the true definition of finding yourself and you know i know i know it hasn't been easy for you especially with uh the religion thing because you were not a religious person so you you had to open yourself up to that information and then there was i know for a fact because i spoke to you about it but people who didn't accept that from you, you know, some of your readers who didn't want to hear that, uh, maybe some people in your life who didn't want to hear that. And I know that that caused you some conflict as well, but I can tell you that for your energy, in my opinion, uh, as a creator of the free your energy book, free your energy podcast, it's about freeing yourself of that, of the worry of what other people are going to say about my choices. You're not hurting anybody by choosing to, accept Jesus Christ and become a Christian. Uh, you're not hurting anybody by losing 50 pounds. You're not hurting anybody by second guessing your work and saying, you know what? I want to, I want to create from a more genuine spot. You're not hurting anybody by taking the time to be authentic in your path. And anyone who tells you that you are because what you are brings their character into conflict or their identity into conflict is someone whose energy is not free and on, here on the free your energy podcast on this platform we're just after energy ideas conversations that help us be free that's it you know it's not about this is better or that's better it's like you say just start it just start what's gonna free you you know we all have different paths and the one thing that i want for all my friends and family and listeners is just to always just have compassion for yourself you know, just land that one brick at a time, one brick at a time. Like you, you, you talked about the workouts. Like I might get, I just sent you an invite. Like I might get three or four notifications from you. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. If I go for a walk, I turn a little app on and just track the walk to say, you know, Hey, you walk for 30 minutes, you, you burn 90 calories or 200 calories. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Cool. That was a victory. It's not it's not even a quote unquote workout in terms of what me and you are used to as far as like football players. But 30 minute, 30 minute walk is a workout. Yeah. And and I just want anybody listening to any struggle that you may have. Think small. You don't have to. You know, if you want to start working out, you don't have to start running 400 meter runs at the track like an Olympian. You don't have to start with the deadlift and the hand clean and power clean. Maybe you just start off with a walk. You know, maybe you want to write a book. You don't have to worry about what the 400 pages are going to be. Just write a page or two. Write a chapter. Just write a quote. Write a quote. Start with one quote. Add a second quote. Add a third quote. You want to write a novel. You don't need all 30 characters. Just come up with one character. It doesn't even have to be the main character. Just one character in your story, you know, and with, with freeing our energy, we just have to allow ourselves patience and compassion, you know, because we all make mistakes and there's all, there's always pain in all of our stories, but we can be free from it. We can be free from it. So where can my listeners find you, man? If uh, I know some of them are definitely going to want to connect with you on social media, where can we look for you? You can find me on Instagram. Ratio Jones. Um, that's pretty much where I'm at mainly. For now, I decided to kind of like focus in on just one area, keep everything centered. Um, as I, like you said, things are hard for everyone, so it's, I find it easier to just focus 
to start narrowing down like what my focus is. So Horatio Jones, Instagram.com, and you know, find me right there. Horatio Jones. So that's H O R A C I O Jones. Horatio Jones. All right, man. We're looking forward to that book. The next two books that you're working on. Anybody who's interested in the first two books, Broken Vision and the I Am the Love of My Life book, those are out now on Amazon. Amazon has been doing a really good job doing this pandemic shipping books. Um, I know authors like me, independent authors, greatly appreciate their work, uh, as well as the readers who have really just stayed dedicated and committed to reading and, you know, just looking for the words that are going to inspire them. I know for a fact that I greatly appreciate that as an author. Um, Horatio's books as well are still on Amazon shipping worldwide. So check that out. And Horatio, actually, I'm sorry. Your name is Derek, but your author name is Horatio. Derek, we want to get you back on the podcast. We want you to be a friend of the podcast. We want to grow with you. We want to hear your story. So please, please come on back in about a month or two, three months, somewhere soon so we can hear about your progress, so we can hear how you've kept your weight off and your transformation. We want to we want to stay in your life and stay uh, involved. No problem, man. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you for everything that's tuned in today. Um, bro, I definitely don't mind chopping it up with you a couple months from now. Just um, talking about things that are happening. Um, Hopefully, when this thing is all over, we get together. We can probably get together, do some things and stuff uh, with, with, with people, you know, that kind of want to see us or just have conversations with us. So let's just see what happens in the future. Thank you for your time, sir. This has been a great episode of the Free Your Energy Podcast.